Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord which engages us this morning comes from our Revelation text read earlier. I never served in the military. I came of age after the Vietnam War, but before the first Gulf conflict. But as a pastor, I did serve near Fort Riley in Kansas. I talked to many soldiers who had returned from war and heard their stories of trauma and what war had done to them. But you know, despite knowing how horrible war is, there's something about the stories of war that many of us, especially we men, find exciting, intriguing. I hear students talk excitedly about a class named Battles That Changed Church History. Yesterday, I sat down at lunch with a table full of fourth-year students, and it took me a couple of minutes to figure out what they were talking about so excitedly, so animatedly, and it was the nuances between Halo 1 and Halo 2 and Halo 3 and when they should carry a grenade launcher or use a sword or how to escape from the pit or whatever it was. I, I raised daughters. Uh, they never asked for an Xbox or a Halo. Uh, and if they had asked, my wife would have said no. So. But despite that, I've always been intrigued or enjoy watching war movies, going back to Civil War and Revolutionary War, like The Patriot in Gettysburg, or World War II, like Saving Private Ryan, or the HBO series Pacific, or Band of Brothers, or Vietnam Wars, like uh, Vietnam battles like Platoon, or those in the last couple of decades, like Black Hawk Down, Generation Kill, or Restrepo. I've watched most of those multiple times. They seem to be getting more violent, more realistic as the years go on. I sometimes sense that I get sort of a secondary PTSD just from watching them. But yet many of us are drawn to them, maybe to imagine what it was like to be in those dangerous but yet heroic situations. What we have here in our Revelation text is a brief description of the greatest, most important war the universe has ever known. We label wars with descriptive terms like the Revolutionary War or the War Between the States or World War I or World War II, but we could probably label this one as the War Between the Cosmos, the War Within the Cosmos, the most important war of all time. We don't have enough words here for a movie script or program the software of a video game, but there is enough here to reveal to us what that war was like and the scope of this cosmos war and how we were saved through it. One of the things about war movies that I kind of like, and I think many others do as well, is not just the battle scenes, but the times in between the battles where you start to see the relationships and the personalities of the soldiers, the fears that they have about going into battle, the the psyches that they have, the human commitments that they make to one another before they go in. And you know how sometimes the least likely soldier is the one who turns up to be the hero. We all love human heroes. Unless from lunch yesterday I learned he's a 10-year-old boy in New Hampshire who plays Halo better than you do. No. Uh, but except for that, we all love heroes. Heroes are why we watch the movies. But did you notice in our text, there were no human heroes? 
In fact, humans were hardly even involved in this war, at least not as soldiers, and definitely not as heroes. The dragon, Satan, the devil, and his minions are waging war against Michael and his angels after Christ has ascended victoriously back to heaven. We humans are not the heroes. We're the background. We're the prisoners in our own earth. We're the defenseless civilians in this war, unable to save ourselves. And in fact, this war seems to be happening in a very, very odd place with very, very odd weapons. It's in a heavenly kingdom courtroom where one lawyer is using words as weapons to blame the humans of guilt before the court. And another lawyer steps forward to speak on our behalf. The accuser lawyer who is in contempt of this court has to be forcibly removed by the bailiffs. And even the bailiffs, Michael and his angels, are empowered not by their own strength and authority, but by the strangest of weapons, the blood of the Lamb, who is also the new lawyer. From Lou Brighton's commentary on Revelation, at the center of this warfare in heaven is Satan's ability to stand in God's holy presence and accuse the saints of God. It is a war, so to speak, of words, the words with which Satan accuses God's saints of their sins. For example, Job. This warfare, though of words, is deadly serious, for if Satan's accusations were validated in the heavenly court, then God's justice would require him to deny even his own people because of their sin. But Christ's victory has earned for him the right to represent fallen humanity. He is the one who loves us and sets us free from our sins by his blood. So ends Lou Brighton. Last month, in the small lower chapel, Dr. Oshwald preached on another text that had war and armor as its theme. Ephesians 6, you remember the whole armor of God text. We guys often like that text as well because metaphorically we get to dress up in Roman armor and think about all the heroic things that we might do if we were dressed, when we are dressed in the whole armor of God. But Dr. Oshwald, like the good exegete that he is, pointed, us out, pointed out to us the main verb in the paragraph. The main verb is stand, stand firm. In Ephesians 6, Paul does not exhort us to become the offensive thrust, the point of the spear in this battle. No, he calls upon us to stand, stand firm against the spiritual forces of evil. Many of us here may never have served in an American military unit, but yet we are still called upon to be in the military unit of our God. The spiritual battle in heaven has already been won. Christ, the Lamb of God, has already won the battle and returned to his Father's throne to declare victory over his enemies. Michael and his angels have enforced that victory. Thanks be to God. We can never be accused again before God because of our sins. That accuser has been thrown out of heaven and down to earth, but he can still battle here on earth and accuse our consciences against ourselves to make us doubt that blessed gospel of peace that we have been given. 
Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 6 to take the proper defensive stance with the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation to protect us and to stand, to stand firm. To stand firm, Roman soldiers actually wore cleats in their shoes so that they could make a defensive stand even against foes who were stronger and outnumbered them. But the only weapon in Ephesians 6 doesn't appear to be all that powerful by human standards. If you would, those of you that have a pew Bible in front of you, why don't you just pull that out and hold it up. Doesn't look all that powerful, does it? My guess is, is if you were playing Halo 3 and you had a choice between a grenade launcher and this Bible, most of you would probably choose the grenade launcher. But yet, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of their testimony, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of every human heart. Be not afraid in this war. Michael and his angels still watch over us and continue to protect us. May their prince, Christ himself, empower us to stand firm, protected in his armor, and continue to teach us how to use his gracious and powerful word as the only weapon against the evil Satan still manages to concoct against us in this last short time he has left. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We continue with our hymn.